Go ahead and get rolling. My name is Dane Rutherford, uh, and I'm on staff with Sumo at Texas Tech. I've been on staff for four years. Uh, now, as you hear that uh, I went to school at Texas Tech, you know, you might be thinking, asking the question, is that the only school this guy got into? Okay. Uh, my response to that would be, hey, don't ask stupid questions. Uh, of course, I didn't get into another school. All right, another school. Yeah. No, uh, I actually grew up a Red Raider. Okay, like, I love Texas Tech, diehard Texas Tech uh, fan, and I love all of it. We have any Texas Tech people in here? Yep. Yep. Yeah. All like 10 of them right there? Come on. Uh, well, to kick us off, I want us to look at the, the, this group of guys right here, four guys. Uh, the guy at the top left, his name's Derek Horn, and what you can't see in this picture is if that picture scrolled down a little bit, you would see one of the just biggest biceps you've ever seen in your entire life. I mean, this dude's like pushing 60, and he's absolutely jacked. I mean, he's yoked to the max. That's Derek Horn. Here's a really unique story. He's from Arkansas, uh, and his mother actually led him to faith. And then he went on staff uh, with a church in Arkansas, and what he eventually did was he decided uh, he was going to start a Bible study with a little local football, like a, a Bible study for a local football team right there. And so he starts this Bible study, and in comes the guy in the bottom left, Brent Orr. And so Brent Orr, he shows up to this Bible study, and he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to come. Like, why not? Like, maybe there's going to be free food, something like that. What he didn't understand was the impact that Derek Horn was going to have on his life. You see, Derek Horn formed a friendship with Brent Orr. Eventually, he shared the gospel with Brent Orr and led him to faith. And then Brent decided to go to Kaleo the summer before. Come on, big Kaleo fan right there. Uh, decided to go to Kaleo the summer before his freshman year at the University of Arkansas. Uh, so he goes to Kaleo, he gets to Arkansas, he joins the fraternity Kappa Sig, and what does he do? He says, hey, I'm going to start a Bible study just like Derek did with me. So he starts a Bible study in the Kappa Sig house, and in walks this guy in the top right-hand corner, Stephen Click. So Stephen Click, he walks into this Bible study, kind of similar reasons that Brent Orr first walked into the study. He's like, I'll just try it out. But what he didn't realize was the impact that Brent Orr was going to have on his life. You see, Brent befriended Stephen Click. He eventually shared the gospel with Stephen Click, and a year later, Stephen Click gave his life to the Lord. Click eventually went on staff with Sumo at the University of Oklahoma. He gets to Oklahoma, what do you think he does? He starts a Bible study in a fraternity house. This time it was the SAE house at OU, RIP to that house. They might be back now, actually, I think, but RIP for a while. Uh, and in walked this freshman in the bottom right corner, Brent Rinke. Uh, now, Brent Rinke, he joined SAE for the same reason that probably 90% of guys joined a fraternity. He wanted to live the fraternity lifestyle in college, and he did that for the majority of his freshman year until eventually he was tired of that. And around that time is when Stephen Click shared the gospel with Brent. Brent gave his life to Christ, and he eventually went on staff with Sumo at Texas Tech. What do you think he did? Started a Bible study in the basement of a fraternity house. This time it was the fight of the Theta House, and this time it was me walking into this Bible study. You see, when I walked into that Bible study, well, I didn't realize what the impact that Brent Rinke was going to have on my life. Four men, four different men from different colleges, different jobs, different backgrounds. What, what could they possibly have in common, these four men? Well, I'll tell you, I think they really have two things in common. The first is the impact that these men have had 
I really don't even think we could possibly put a number to it. I mean, it extends far more than just me on this stage right now. The other thing they have in common is they were committed to one thing, and that one thing was making disciples. Making disciples, that's what these men were committed to. That's what led Derek Horn to start this Bible study in the, for this football team, this local high school football team. And when he started that Bible study, do you think the first day that Bible study started, he, he could have imagined that over 20 years later, an 18-year-old in Lubbock, Texas, was going to be impacted by what? Derek Horn choosing to make disciples. Making disciples, that's going to be what we talk about today in this breakout. When you hear that, making disciples, in a room this size, probably a lot of different thoughts can pop in to your head. I mean, maybe you've never even heard of that before, and so you're like, what is that? What even is a disciple? Maybe you're like, hey, I've been to Kaleo, okay? You ever heard of her? Like, pretty legit. I, I know this whole discipleship thing. I've been doing it for like one semester now, and I'm not in here for myself. I'm in here for the girl the guy to my right. I, I know discipleship. Making disciples. Uh, I think when it comes to making disciples, what's interesting is like a lot of different emotions can kind of come along with it. Maybe with making disciples, a lot of fear and like anxiety. Like that seems really challenging. Maybe you've heard about it, you've been involved with Sumo for a little bit, and it's just like this, I don't know if I can do that. Like help other people grow in their faith. Like I don't know if that is for me. Uh, not to mention, y'all are all in college. I mean, making disciples is not like it's your job. I mean, you have school, a lot of you have work, you have a social life, so it's like, okay, where does making disciples even like fit into this whole thing? And how do I even know when I've done it? Like, how do I even know when I've actually made a disciple? Like, it's kind of confusing, it's complicated. So many questions and thoughts and emotions can arise when we hear that word. It's almost paralyzing, it's confusing. My question for y'all today is, is that, the way, is that the way it's supposed to be? Making disciples, is it supposed to be this kind of unclear, confusing task? Is that what these men experience? This right here is a picture of Mike Leach. Like I said, I'm a Red Raider, big fan of Mike Leach. If you don't know Mike Leach, uh, to be honest, he, he's one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of college football. He revolutionized offense in college football. Uh, the reason so many college football teams throw the ball like 60 to 80% of the time is because of the impact Mike Leach had. What's interesting about Mike Leach is he was famous for saying he thought so many coaches overcomplicated offense. He thought they overcomplicated it. I mean, you would see these coaches with like their phone books for a playbook. And as you can see, it didn't work out too well for Jimbo Fisher over there on the right. But these crazy playbooks, but not Mike Leach. No, you want to see his playbook? That's small. A little sheet of paper. Mike Leach, one of the greatest offensive minds in the history of college football. We can still see his impact today. Why? Because he overcomplicated stuff? No. Because he kept it simple. You see, I believe Jesus does the exact same thing with us when it comes to making disciples. I believe he gives us a really simple playbook. The disciple makers playbook. And it's only three plays. It takes up about that much space in scripture. It's really simple. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to look at this playbook. I want us to look at this playbook. But before we look at this playbook, we first have to know what we're playing for. 
Because a playbook, the whole purpose of it is what? So we can go out and we can win the game. And so what's kind of the win for us? Well, I would say it's this, making disciples. What is a disciple? I think this is a really basic definition. As you look at Jesus and his disciples, I think this is the basic definition. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus who helps others be the same. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus who helps others be the same. So now that we know what we're playing for, let's jump in to this playbook. So if you have your Bible, this playbook is going to be in Matthew 28, so you can pull it out. It's also going to be on the screen, and we're going to go ahead and jump in with Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The first play of the disciple makers play, but we get it from this verse. The first play is to go. To go. That's play number one. Jesus, he starts off by telling the disciples, hey, therefore, go and make disciples. It's interesting when you look at that word, go. Uh, what that word really means, it means to continue on a journey. Like just to continue on, on one's life journey. And it's interesting because as Jesus is saying this to the disciples, this is a time where he's already went to the cross, he's already died, he's resurrected, and this is one of the final moments he's actually going to have with his disciples. So what is he trying to say here? He's trying to say, hey, listen, I'm going to leave y'all, but your life is going to continue on. Like you're going to continue on this life journey, and you're going to continue to meet people. And it's among those people, that's where you make disciples. Play number one is go. You know, I think when it comes to making disciples, one thing that can be so complicated with it is just like, it's where, where do I start? Like, where do I start and who do I start with? Do I need to like get around new people to make disciples? Do I need to like go to church more? Is that what I need to do? Like, where do I start? And Jesus shows us here, hey, all of you are on a unique life journey. All of you in this room, you have siblings, you have fraternity brothers, you have sorority sisters, you have co-workers, you're in a unique major, uh, and you have people in your major in your classrooms, and it's among those people you're supposed to go to them and make disciples. We have to have eyes to see them. We go to them. That's play number one, is go. Play number one is go. This right here, the girl on the left, this is a picture of uh, Sawyer Choke. She's a senior at Texas Tech. Yeah, give it up to Sawyer uh, and so what's interesting about Sawyer is after her freshman year at Tech, she decided she was going to uh, go to Kaleo. Again, Kaleo is our eight-week-long discipleship training program. So she goes to Kaleo. She, she learns kind of the ins and outs of making disciples. She gets some practice doing that. And she's like, hey, I'm going to go back into Theta, and I'm going to have an impact. Like, that's what I want to do. So she leaves Kaleo. She, she continues on her life journey. But you know what's interesting? She doesn't immediately run into another Theta. The person she immediately runs into next is her twin sister, Sailor. And as she runs into Sailor, she realizes, hey, I want to have an impact on my sister. It's, it's as I go on this life journey. And so she tried to impact her sister. She loved her sister. She cared for her sister. She would pray for her sister on a daily basis. She, she would read the Bible in front of her sister, and she had an impact on Sailor. Sailor, she now goes to Texas Tech, and she is actively sharing her faith with girls on Texas Tech. It's the impact that Sawyer had on her. Sawyer, she just went on this life journey. 
who is it for you? Maybe it's a sibling. Again, maybe it's a fraternity brother, a sorority sister. We all have people in your life. And the amazing thing is these people, they're in your life. They're not in my life. And they're not in a person's life maybe next to you. They're unique people in God who has you in their life to have an impact and to make disciples. Play number one is to go. Go ahead and take some time with the people around you and jump into this discussion question right here. Alright. Alright, so we have play number one down. Play number one is to go. And, and what does that mean? It means, hey, it's, it's the people you meet on your life journey. You, you go towards them. And, and you try to have an impact by making disciples. But what do we do next? So now you're actually around these people, but like, what's next? What do you actually do once you form the relationship with these people? What do you do when you're around them? And that takes us in to our next play in the Disciple Makers playbook. The next time the Disciple Makers playbook, we get it in the back half of this verse. Jesus, he goes on, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's here that we get play number two. Play number two is to share. Is to share. Play number two is to share. So if you look at this verse, you might be like, where are you getting that? Because there's the word share, nowhere in there. But we do see the word baptizing. And when the disciples, when they heard Jesus say this word baptizing, what, what they would have understood is they would have said, okay, who do we baptize? Well, we baptize people who have put their trust in Jesus. How do people put their trust in Jesus? Well, Romans 10, 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You baptize people who put their faith in Jesus. People put their faith in Jesus after hearing another believer share the gospel or share the good news about Jesus. That's play number two. We share. That's what we do. We go and we share. And so as you hear that, sharing the gospel, I mean, if you're anything like me, the first time I heard that, I mean, I kind of get a little... You know, a little weak in the knees, a little wobble a little bit. Because it's nerve-wracking, like, like sharing our faith, like kind of putting ourselves out there, that, that's just, that's really intimidating. The first time I went out to share our faith, it was actually at Kalea. And at Kalea, we had a designated day where you actually learn and are trained how to go out and share your faith in different ways. And then you have time to go out and actually do that. So, me and this group of guys, you know, as we go to this training, we're really praying for like a tsunami or something crazy to come in and like wipe the place out so we don't have to go out and do this. Uh, but God did not answer that prayer, if you were wondering. Uh, and so we found ourselves in this parking garage, and we just shotgunned like two ripples each, trying to hype ourselves up to go out and do this. And, and one of the guys in the group, he's like, okay, we need to pray. It's a good idea. Huddle up, we need to pray. And so he, he's praying, you know, he's giving a good prayer. I start feeling a little something right here. The Red Bull kind of rumbling a little bit. And that's when I realize I'm, I'm going to hurl. Like, I'm literally going to throw up. I'm so nervous. Like, it's not like I can't go out and do this. And so I step out of the prayer, go over to the corner of this parking garage, and I'm just. I mean, I literally blow chunks all over this parking garage in Panama City, Panama City Beach, Texas. I could take you there literally to the exact spot. It's nerve-wracking, but why? Like, like, why would someone literally throw up because they're so anxious before they go out 
just a little faith. Why is it so nerve-wracking? I think there's a couple of reasons, to be honest. Uh, but I think one of the big ones is, at least in my life, I feel like we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves when it comes to sharing the gospel and sharing our faith. It's like, okay, I need to say all the right things. I need to have the perfect answer to every single question. And I have to package the gospel or my testimony or my story in this perfect way and then deliver it. And, and, and the way I deliver it, that's actually going to dictate, okay, if I do that perfectly, then this person will put their trust in Jesus. But that's just not true. I love this verse right here. First Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. It says, this is Paul talking. He says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I love that passage because it just takes the pressure off of us. You and I, like, we're only responsible for just planting in water. We're not the ones who provide growth. Like that just, it takes the pressure off. And for sure, there can still be some butterflies. Like it is kind of nerve-wracking, like, especially if you've never shared your faith uh, before. But this verse, it can give us confidence, even in the midst of those butterflies we can get, to press in, to be faithful, to just plant and water, and to share our faith. Now, when it comes to sharing our faith, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, and we don't have time to kind of go through all of those ways, but if you're out there and you're like, hey, I I want to share my faith with people, like I want to run this next play, but I don't know how to, but I would say a great next step for you would be to reach out to maybe a student leader who invited you, or a staff person at your campus, and just go up to them and say, hey, I want to learn how to share my faith. Can, can you help me? I, I really do think if you go up to someone and ask them that, they're going to sit down with you. They're, they're going to love to help you out. We're even going to have a breakout in the third session uh, about evangelism, about how to share your faith. So maybe that's a great next step is go to that breakout. But when it comes to sharing our faith, at least in my life, what I've seen be true is the hardest part, I don't think, is actually sharing like, the gospel. The hardest part is starting the conversation. And so I, I want to be really practical right here. You know, it could be so awkward. It's like you're sitting there playing video games with your bro. You know, it's like, yeah, you seen seen the weather today? Have you ever have you ever read the Bible before then? Like, you know, something you ever done? Would you want to do that? I don't know. And it's just like it's so awkward. He's like, what is this guy talking about? We're just playing Fortnite, man. Uh, and so this is just something I use to bring up spiritual conversation. I use these two kind of phrases right here. I just say, hey, do you have a faith? Or what did faith look like for you growing up? Do you have a faith? Or what did faith look like for you growing up? And I just maybe a guy's over at my house to hanging out while we were out eating lunch or something like that. And, and if you use these lines, what you're going to actually come to find out is people really want to talk about things like this. People really do want to talk about their faith, but this is the issue. Listen, no one is asking that. No one is reaching out. No one is sharing with them because no one is asking questions like this. It doesn't have to be this super just nerve-wracking thing. It can be simple. It's just share your faith, and it can start with a simple question. Do you have a faith, or what did faith look like for you growing up? Let's go ahead and break out these discussion questions. All right, we're going to bring it back together. We're going to keep rocking and rolling. 
Alright, so we have our first two plays in the disciple making program. Play number one is we go. What does that mean? It says as you go, as you go on life's journey, the people you have relationships with, those are the people you impact, try to make disciples. When you're around them, what do you do? Well, the next play, play number two, is you share. Okay, and so you share, you, you share the gospel, and maybe, you know, with that clip at the beginning, one of the guys, it, it, it was a year. Like, Brent never shared the gospel with him for a year before he gave his life to the Lord. For me, Brent shared the gospel with me, it was a couple days later, but you share the gospel, and then let's say the person you're trying to disciple, they decide to put their trust in Jesus. Like, they make that decision. And so you baptize them, somebody baptizes them, and it's like, okay, now this person, like, looks to me as kind of like a spiritual mentor. And what do I do? Like, where do we go from there? Well, Jesus gives us our final play in the next verse. Our next play in the disciple making playbook is in Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Play number three in the disciple maker's playbook is teach. Teach. Okay, what, what do we teach them? Well, this verse says, Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What does Jesus mean? He's saying, hey, everything I've commanded you, the Bible, that's what you do. Primarily, there's a lot of things you can train your disciples in. There's a lot of things you can teach. There's different Bible studies you can do. And those are all amazing things. But if you really want to break discipleship down, making disciples, what it simply is, is it's just teaching people to live the Bible. Like, that's really, it's simple. It's just teaching people to live the Bible. So you're here teaching and maybe remember, hey, I'm not a pastor. Like, this, this isn't my job. And so I, I don't teach. That's not really something I see myself like, dude, I don't know if I can do that. Am I even qualified to do that? But that's because I think we overcomplicate teaching. What is teaching? I, I, I was trying to break it down, and I really think this right here is teaching. This is what teaching is. Teaching is you personally, you read the Bible, you, you study the Bible, you study, you understand the Bible, you read the Bible, you understand the Bible, you live the Bible out in your own life, but you also live the Bible out in front of the people you're trying to disciple, so you live the Bible, and then you talk about the Bible with the people you're trying to disciple, and then you repeat, you do that process over and over and over again. You do it over and over and over again, and maybe even you start with the people yourself, and you start doing it with them. Like, you sit down together, and you read the Bible together, and you help them understand the Bible. You help them live it out. You hold each other accountable. You, you live it out together, and then you send them out to go and talk about it with somebody else. Teaching, it, it, it's simple. It's, it's read the Bible, understand the Bible. Live the Bible out in your own life and around the people you're trying to disciple, and then talk about it with them and do that over and over and over again. That's what it means to teach. I mean, you can think about the disciples, for example. Like, every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you could, honestly, if, if we took the time, you could trace back, you being a follower of Christ, all the way to one of the disciples or the apostles. And that's pretty crazy when you think about it. But these men, they weren't all pastors. I mean, they were fishermen, tax collectors. They were just regular people like you and me, but they were able to teach. And so, can you? We can all do this. We can all teach. We read the Bible, understand the Bible, 
rip the Bible out, talk about it with the people who decide them. You do that over and over again. But each one of those things, you have to have that when it comes down to teaching. You really do. You have to read the Bible and understand the Bible, because if you don't do that, like, what do you really have to talk about with somebody? If you're not reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, all you're giving to someone else is just your opinion. And everyone has one of those. Scripture says it's a double-edged sword, and that it can pierce all the way to the heart of human beings. That, that's why you have to read and understand it. That has to be what we talk about with the people who are discipling. You have to talk about it, because if you just read and understand, it's just kind of in your knowledge, and you're kind of just getting puffed up. It's like, oh, I have all this knowledge. Look at me. But we also have to live the Bible. We have to live the Bible. I think when it comes to discipling people, at least in my life, this is one, it can be pretty hard to do this. Because it means you have to sacrifice your own free time. You have to get time around the people you're discipling to live the Bible out in front of them. I love the fly fish. Okay? Fly fishing, probably my favorite thing in the world. Like, I, I'm a disciple of fly fishing in a sense. I mean, I... I read books on it, I, I listen to podcasts about it, I watch YouTube videos about it, and I don't just like read and watch these things. I mean, I understand them. Like, I know almost all there is to know about fly fishing. Now, let's say I wanted to disciple one of you in fly fishing. So we start talking about fly fishing. I mean, I'm just talking about it all the time. I have my sling pack, you know, I have a net, I have my rods. Uh, show you how, how you can tie a fly. Uh, then you can go out in the parking lot back there, and I'm, I'm teaching you how to cast, you know. Like, we're, we're just doing it. And you're eventually like, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to get out on a river. Like, let's go do it. Let's fly fish. So we get out there. And, I mean, you're having the time of your life. You're just in the river, water running by. Let's fly fishing. Then you look over at me. I don't have a fly rod in my hand. I got a double barrel shotgun, okay? And I mean, I'm just looking at these fish, and just boom, there's one. Boom, there's one. I mean, water's going everywhere. I mean, I'm dropping fish left and right, and I got a shovel and a shotgun. They stand no chance. You would look at that. You're like, what, what is going on? That, that's not fly fishing. And so you ask me, like, hey, what, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, I, I don't fly fish. Oh yeah, I, I talk about fly fishing. I understand fly fishing, but I don't actually do it. You, you would leave that experience, and most likely you'd probably never fly fish ever again. At least you would never fly fish with me ever again. Why? Because you'd be like, that person is a poser. I mean, they're a hypocrite. And I'm, I don't want any part of that. That's with fly fishing. How much more with our faith? When it comes to discipling, it's not enough to just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. You have to live the Bible out. It's so crucial when it comes to teaching and making disciples. So that's the disciple maker's playbook. It's simple. Play number one is go. Play number two is share. Play number three is teach. You do those three things, and I'm telling you, you, you can have an impact on your campus, on your state, even the world. Those are the place. And so I feel like when we come to something like SEC, like what's interesting is it's just kind of information overload. You get so much information, and what's really easy to begin happening is it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And so I want to take some time just to kind of have some application. 
And so you can do this in a group, but then really the section on the bottom of your handout where it says, uh, I need to focus on, you'll put what play, what's the next play you need to focus on? Maybe, maybe to be honest, you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're like, I don't even know if I'm a disciple of Jesus myself. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's going to be really hard to make disciples of Jesus if you're not first one. And so out of love, like that's your next play, that's your next step, is you, need to, you need to put your trust in Jesus. That's the next play. Maybe your next play is like, hey, I need to have eyes to see the girls in my sorority house. Like the girls I'm already around. You need to go to them. Maybe it's, hey, I need to like teach. I need to put myself out there and actually start living the Bible out in front of the people I want to have impact on. So what's your next play? Take some time with the people around you and write that out, and I'm going to come back up and close this out. All right, we're going to bring it back together. Bring it back together. Okay, so in a room this size, probably a lot of, of, of next plays and exactly how you're going to carry those plays out, like it could be different for all of us. Uh, I think if we're honest, running like that next play, a lot of times it can be really intimidating. Like maybe it's share, and it's like, hey, I've never shared my faith before, and that's really, again, that's nerve-wracking for me. And, and with the Disciple Maker's Playbook, I mean, the playbook itself, it's simple. I mean, it's only three plays. Again, it takes up that much space of the Bible. But actually, getting in the game and playing, like, I'm not going to shoot it, it can be hard. Like, you can face rejection at times. There can be late-night conversations. It, it, it can be frustrating. It can be heartbreaking. And again, it can be nerve-wracking to take that next play. Maybe you've done some of those plays before, and it's just like, hey, I'm not seeing a ton of like disciples actually being made here, and I just don't know if I can keep doing this like over and over again. And at the end of this playbook, what I love is Jesus, he gives us a promise. And it's what I want to leave us with today. In Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I grew up with anxiety my entire life. Okay? Uh, anxiety would kind of reach its peak for me before sporting events. I would pace before sporting events. Like I would kind of hyperventilate. I would have like panic attacks and I would throw up. I've been talking about throw up a lot. I actually threw up right before this. Don't go to that guy's bathroom. Back there. I'm kidding. I didn't throw up. Uh, before, I mean, I would just get so worked up before like a football game or a basketball game. But I'd always get out there and play. You want to know why? Because you want to know in the midst of my pacing, in the midst of me setting down a hyperventilating, you want to know the person who was always right there next to me? My dad. My dad, as I was growing up, a lot of times he was my coach, and, and he knew I would get really anxious. So he would be right there next to me. Like literally, as I was speaking over in the corner, he would be there. As I was sitting down, oftentimes what he would do is he would put his arm around me, and he wouldn't say a word. He would just be right there. He would just kind of silently pray for me. And, and that empowered me. That would blow into myself in the midst of all that kind of hard stuff to still go out there 
and play the game. And that's why I love this promise right here. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, in the midst of the fear of that next step, in the midst of this sometimes being hard and, and rejection, it being sad and frustrated, hey, his arms right there around you. He's saying, I'm with you always. I'm right there. And because of this promise, because of this promise right here, what's true for any person in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, is you can go out and make disciples. Because guess what? He's with you. He's right there. He's empowering you. He's with us always to the very end of the age. He's with us as we go. He's with us as we share. He's with us as we teach. He's with us as we make disciples. And we leave an impact on our campuses and the world around us. He's right there with you. Let me pray for us. God, I'm just so thankful that you invite us into this. God, you, you do not have to even allow making disciples to be a thing. God, and I know in my own life I've got to experience so much joy from getting to do this, God. And you invite anyone in this room who's a follower of you into this. God, I pray for all of us. I pray for the people who are in our lives as we go. God, give us the boldness and the courage to have eyes to see and, and, and to strike up spiritual conversation with those people. God, it may people in this room that we get to see our siblings, our co-workers, our classmates start a relationship with you. And when we, when we get to teach them your word, God, how to live the abundant, full life that, that, that your word provides us. God, and may the result of all this be ultimately disciples being raised up. God, but more importantly than that, your name receives so, so much glory because you deserve that. God, we love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, that's all we got. So y'all just like that.